Joining us now, as promised at the top of the show, is Lyra Halperin to talk about an interesting journey from, uh, well, I guess you'd say Radio Land of Davis to a, a national audience. Welcome, Lyra. Hi. Hi, Doug. Nice to be here. You're a fellow KDVSer. Can you tell us about that? Well, I'm a volunteer. Um, I work at the university as a, an editor and writer, but I had a personal story that I wanted to tell, and I wanted to do it on radio. I had done radio earlier in my career, and I wasn't sure how to get started again. I'm talking about before my kids were born, and my kids are in their 20s. So I had heard about KDVS, and I had listened to KDVS a little over the years. I've been in this area for more than 30 years. Sakura Sanders was coordinating the new volunteers, and it was a wonderful experience. Last year, I had a I took her seven-week class and learned a lot about radio, alternative radio, and why KDBS is different. Um, some things I already knew, but a lot of things I didn't know, particularly about the music, about how only, what is it, between 1% and 2% of the music produced in the United States today is actually aired. Sounds and about right. I had guess I had sort of instinctively felt that because I was searching the dial and not finding anything interesting or finding the same thing on every station. And I know my kids had stopped listening to regular commercial radio. I did a little volunteering here, and I wanted to do my story that I had and make it into a radio piece and learn how to use the production equipment so that I could present it to somebody who might be able to, to air it um, to a larger audience. I got a lot of help from various people, and I put together an almost 11-minute piece about a story about my daughter who has type 1 diabetes, but I wore her insulin pump for a day. That was that was the story. Right. And I tried to do it in the style of Ira Glass's wonderful show, This American Life, mm -hmm. on American Public Radio. Good style to imitate. Yes, it was, and I used music. I called it Her Endless, her endless Days um, because it reminds me of the endless summer, the fact that my daughter no longer can just kind of zone out and not think about things and have an endless day. She has to concentrate and, and um, count, carb, count carbohydrates right. so that she can take the right amount of insulin. And I got the music. I used uh, some of the music from the original soundtrack from the movie, the 1964 movie, The Endless Summer, and I used some from Endless Summer 2. I learned how to kind of mix it together and some of the DJs helped me, and some of the people who just do producing helped me, and my son helped me, and I figured a little bit of it out myself. Pointing out once again how, how KDVS is really, truly a community radio station and how you can come in and volunteer and, 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 and learn a lot. It was quite an, a wonderful experience. I really enjoyed working with the, the people, the young people, and really impressed with the core staff. They work so hard. They do indeed. So you got an 11-minute piece, and I understand that, that Elizabeth Sherwin then aired that on her program last fall. She did. Elizabeth said, well, why don't you do your show, do your piece on my show, which helped me finish the piece because mm -hmm. it wasn't quite done yet. Right. And I did do that, and we she aired it, and I was her guest on October 5th, which was in time. I wanted to do it. I wanted it to air before the November election because... At the very end of the story, I mentioned that I'm also looking forward to cures that might come out of stem cell research. Right. And you'll remember there was Proposition 71, the ballot initiative, the California Stem Cell Initiative, which passed. Yes. Wonderful.
How did you get from KDVS to a national forum? I had my 11-minute piece on a CD, and I started sending it out. Um, first, I sent it to This American Life, to Ira Glass, and you, you kind of just send it to this giant bin someplace. And um, relatively soon, I got a rejection. I'd say within a month, maybe a bit less than that. I think I knew by mid-November that they weren't going to use it. So I started thinking of other places I could put it, and other people were saying to put it maybe the new K-Dirt or something like that. And I just, I felt like it was a unique enough piece, and I thought it was packaged well enough with everybody's help and um, me copying how, you know, a story sounds on National Public Radio or on American Public Radio that I thought that I could sell it or and it could reach a wider audience. So I called some people I sort of knew in the business and I got some names and I still wasn't really getting any place with it and finally I went on the website one day and I was National Public Radio website and I was getting kind of frustrated and I just went to their email freelance at npr.org which is a giant bin in the sky someplace yep. and I sent mm-hmm. I wrote a little query saying you know and I put a in the key is you got to put something snappy not only you got to put it Start, start off by putting it in the subject line so that they'll even read it. You know, something, mom wears kids insulin pump. I think that's what I, my subject line was something like that. And then the query is not too long. And I told him that I, this was from my heart, a little bit about why it was interest, why I thought it was an interesting story. And, and my daughter has type one diabetes. So I thought, well, it had some newsworthy value in that way alone, but also because of the California Stem Cell Research Initiative had passed and what it might mean to some, like our family, if um, my daughter, if there was a cure for type 1 diabetes. Plus, it's an interesting story that somebody would wear a medical device that you have to insert into yourself with a needle, which is what I did. So you gave an interesting angle on it. You sent it off. You said this is something you may be interested in. How long before you got a, a positive response? Not very long. Somebody I knew had told me to contact a particular person, and he responded positively, and I sent him a CD. Then I got a positive response from the uh, freelance at NPR.org, and so I was suddenly felt really weird because I've heard over the years you don't want to ever double um, query. You don't want to offer a piece to two different editors because then they'll never like you again or they won't like your work. Um, they won't trust that you're giving them something uh, exclusive. I've heard they're very territorial. They are. So I contacted a friend of mine um, at the NPR affiliate affiliate in Santa Monica, and she said, well, you better tell them. So I sent an email to each one of these two editors who had independently contacted me and said, look, I didn't mean to to do this to you. I had no idea I was going to get a hit at all from anybody, and I got two, and so that, of course, probably made them more interested, and I sent my CD to both of these people. Well, one of them, the guy wrote me back almost immediately and said, oh, it's too long, and I didn't realize it was a commentary, and it's a nice story, but it's not for me. And then the other editor said, it, I got an email back from her saying, this was from Day to Day, which is one of the NPR shows, and she said, it's too long, and I won't even listen to it all the way through, but if you make it shorter, I guarantee you that I will listen to it all the way through, and I don't know what will happen after that. 
so I wrote her back and I said, an email, and I said, I will do it. I will make it shorter. I felt so proud and happy with what the DJs at KDBS had helped me put together and my son. Right. This 11-minute package, I didn't know where to start to take it apart. It was a hard thing to cut. Then I recorded it again, and I got it down to eight minutes, and I was so disappointed because it had to be um, um, no more than five minutes. I was just going nuts. So I just sort of took a deep breath, and I approached it completely differently. And I had this 11-minute piece on a CD that I sent to a lot of my family, and a fair number of my friends had heard it, and I accomplished that goal. And so really what I was working on was my second goal, which was, to have a story on NPR. It was a different story. I wanted to sell it to NPR, and they weren't going to listen to it if it was more than five minutes. And I couldn't do what I wanted to get the story across with all my emotional stuff and the music. So I cut it out. And I got it down to, it was just over five minutes. I've had to grapple with this commentary. Can't be more than a 90-seconds long issue on occasion, and it is, it is, it is awful. It's really a tough situation. So I went ahead and sent it this thing that was just over five minutes to the editor, and within two days, I got an email back from her. What she said was, uh, still long, want to get it to four minutes, but we like it. Yeah, the royal we. We. We like it. Uh-huh. I think we can work with, we, we think we can work with it. She was going to have me do it up here at the NPR studio in Sacramento, the NPR affiliate, Cap Radio. Right. But I told her it's going to be in L.A., and she said, great, come here. So I went to the National Public, the NPR West studio in Culver City, and it was so much fun. So that must be really quite a contrast to walk into NPR West studios, quite different than KDVS. Oh, my goodness, the microphone alone probably costs more than the fundraiser raised. <laughs> So they sat you down in the booth, had some professional people there for the uh, the directors and producers, and and um, and, and, yes. and you recorded the four minutes. I did, and um, it was really neat because it was this be- beautiful glass wall sort of studio place. That's where Alex Chadwick and Madeline uh, Brand are the co-hosts of Day to Day. I was so glad to be there, and it was a very upbeat day for me. It was a wonderful experience, and they were very professional, and they treated me very professionally, and they liked my writing, and they talked to me about it and everything. It was a very great experience. But then he asked me, what were you feeling? And I started crying. I was sort of took myself by surprise because I was sad to be unhooked from my daughter's pump, and it brought all the stuff back about the diabetes which I had sort of separated myself from because this story was the second goal. This was the story I got it on NPR. And how long before it aired? They almost aired it the next day. It was a little confusing, like for my mom, who was now, well, when's it going to be on? Well, the thing about day-to-day is they only have about eight stories in their one-hour show. And they were waiting for a hook right. that, your, your, that your segment would fit with. Right, and they were going to maybe do it the next day because they had a bunch of medical segments. And I was actually kind of glad that they didn't hook it in just with the medical segments because it doesn't have to just be about medicine. It's about the larger story of what what do you do if you're a parent and you can't fix something for your kid. So what what was it linked to finally in March? Terry Schiavo, which Uh 
which was an odd stretch, but, you know, that story went on for a long time. And that final week, there was all, all kinds of discussion that people had about what do you do. And, and I can certainly understand that a parent would want to do whatever they could to keep their child alive. And I know, for me, curing diabetes is about keeping my daughter alive. And I wouldn't want anybody else to tell me what to think about that. Boom, the next day, um, I was actually walking to work, and my sister called me, because her, her friend heard it in L.A. first, because day-to-day airs on different times on different stations. And in Los Angeles, that's on two different affiliates, and the first one airs at 9 in the morning, and the second one ends at noon. Well, and it's a shame friend, they didn't give you a heads up. No, well, when I got to work... There was an email. I have two different email addresses. I have a home email address and a work email. And the editor had emailed me at 7.30 in the morning. But I hadn't checked that email. Oh. Probably was a last-minute decision on their part anyway. Right. Yeah. Right. It It aired here like 40 minutes after I found out about it. But the good thing is it's archived. If you just go to npr.org and write in my name... You, it'll come up. It was on March 24th on Day to Day. I, I hope people, our listeners, will do exactly that. Tell them again the address to go to? Uh, NPR.org. And if you, the left navigational bar, there's a little tiny thing that says Day to Day. There's a list of all the shows. You can click on that and go to March 24th, or you don't even have to do that. At NPR.org in the search engine, if you just write Lyra Halperin, which is L Y R A. H-A-L-P-R-I-N, it'll, it'll come up to their March 24th, 2005. Lyra, it must be a wonderful feeling to know you got your message out to the entire United States and Canada. And the world, actually. I got an email Indeed. from a mom in Israel with a kid who had type 1. She heard it. Well, that, that must be very gratifying. It was. It was. Well, it was a good experience. Well, it just shows you can start as a volunteer at KDVS, and you can be heard all over the world on the net. That's a, that that that's a wonderful thing. Yes. Lyra, thank you so much for talking with us. Oh, thank you, Doug. It was fun to to reminisce about it. All right, we'll see you down at the station. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right, we've got about five or six minutes left on today's program. Let's do some miscellaneous items that we, I think, uh, should catch up on. Newsweek magazine, of course, is at the center of a firestorm right now. It apologized for its error, it said, in uh, publishing a report that the Koran had been uh, part of the psychological warfare used against detainees. What I find uh, most curious about this story, I don't think has been uh, pointed out um, very um, clearly, is the fact that Newsweek in printing a retraction, said um, that the source they used could not be certain that he'd seen an account of the Koran incident in the military report that he was talking about, that it might have been in other investigative documents or drafts. It should be further noted that there are many other corroborations of this story about the Koran being tossed into the toilet, etc. Uh, they don't just come from uh, one, one person that was cited in Newsweek. Uh, Charlie Savage, writing in the Boston Globe, noted that uh, current and former de- detainees at Guantanamo have made charges that Korans were placed in toilets uh, 
uh, for at least a year now. This was reported in June of 2004 by the Center for Constitutional Rights. In January of this year, Washington lawyer Christine Husky had represented uh, some Kuwaiti detainees and noted that soldiers told her that uh, there'd been defaced Korans, and in one case, a Koran thrown into the toilet. Um, there, there are many other sources that, that relate to this sort of thing. And does anyone, you know, does anyone really doubt that if you're going to stack people in pyramids and have a snarling a guard dogs uh, threaten uh, the genitalia of, of patients, of, of persons um, uh, kept in prison, and that you're going to, like, uh, uh, you know, humiliate them by having women uh, present when they have their clothes off? Do you really think that they're going to draw the line at, you know, defacing or, or, or horsing around with a, a Koran? Really? On the in the blogosphere, apparently Glenn Reynolds took on uh, Newsweek and said that uh, that uh, their reporting led to riots and deaths in Afghanistan. Newsweek lied; people died. Of course, Mr. Reynolds apparently uh, doesn't have any problem with the fact that Bush lied and people died as regards to our entire fiasco with the war in Iraq. But um, uh, the kid, the. the but the most notable quote of all comes from a Pentagon spokesman uh, who was asked last uh, few days back how he squared that sweeping statement made by the Pentagon that thus there have been thus far no credible allegations of willful Koran desecration with the several accounts by current and former detainees. The spokesman said, well, Al-Qaeda members were trained to lie. Since uh, some of these reports come from detainees who have now been turned loose, uh, the question then it has to be asked, are, are, are we letting al-Qaeda members go? We promised a couple weeks back we followed the story of Luis Posada, the mastermind of a blowing up of a Cubana Airlines uh, uh, flight in, in the 1970s that, uh, that killed 73 innocent people. Well, um, Apparently, the, the U.S. government's position was, well, we don't know whether he's in the U.S., we just don't know where he is. Well, the Miami Herald was able to find Mr. Posada, and he gave them an interview. Afterwards, he then had a press conference to uh, talk about his case, after which, uh, by the way, the press conference was conducted a few blocks from the Office of Homeland Security in downtown Miami, uh, after which he then finally was taken into custody. Fidel Castro had mobilized like a million-man march in Cuba to protest this, and, and uh, you know, we, we are no fans of Fidel Castro on this program, don't get us wrong, but it is sort of funny that the U.S. is in an awkward position of what to do about this, uh, this terrorist. The government of Venezuela has requested the U.S. extradite him to, again, be tried for this uh, crime which took place on a flight between, uh, between Cuba and Venezuela, but the U.S. has said that it is a matter of immigration law and policy. It does not remove people to Cuba or to countries believed to be acting on Cuba's behalf. So Posada is not going to go to Venezuela, but what are they going to do with him here? We'll keep following it. And our final item for the day, which has been really a, a, a much talk of politics. We didn't do any science, and I'm, I'm so sorry. We'll catch up on that next week. But our final item of the day, which I first heard about on Amy Goodman's uh, program right here on KDVS, was the fact that the CIA has refused to hand over control of the Iraqi intelligence service to the Iraqi government. The director of Iraq's secret police still reports directly to the CIA, not to the so-called interim uh, government. This has exposed a turf war uh, in the Bush administration over how uh, to deal with the situation, how to deal with the fact that the, there's a suspicion that Iraqi leaders have too close a tie to Iran and are not necessarily going to fight the insurgency taking place there. 
The Central Intelligence Agency has declined to comment on the record about the Iraqi Intelligence Agency or any of its files. We're out of time. In next week's program, we hope to bring you a very special guest, Phil Proctor of the Firesign Theater, which to anyone I think over the age of 40 is, is you know, a name as familiar as Saturday Night Live. But there's a whole generation out there that I think is not aware of these very funny bunch of guys. We'll, uh, we'll see if we can't uh, educate you next week with a talk uh, with Phil Proctor and a review of some of the yucks that came out of the Firesign Theater and, and, and still do. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. Our special thanks to Dr. Ron Bayman of the University of Illinois at Chicago and KDVS's own Lyra Halperin. I'm Douglas Everett. We'll see you next Thursday at 5. Stay tuned for Todd.